Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, talking about the women, came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter, and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. It goes without saying that the message of the resurrection is of extreme importance. If you remove the resurrection of Jesus, folks, Christianity falls apart. There is no hope. In fact, we're going to mention something about that from 1 Corinthians 15 in just a few moments. But there's great power in the resurrection. It is our hope. I love to talk about that word hope from the Greek language. You know, our word hope is not as powerful as the Greek word for hope because ours is sort of an iffy thing sometimes. Boy, I hope the sun will shine today. Doesn't look like it's going to. Boy, I hope I get a raise. Boy, I hope I get that promotion or whatever it may be. But when the Word of God talks about hope, it talks about a glad expectation. I know it's going to happen. Amen. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when, but I know He is coming back. But if you take away the resurrection, you lose all of that. I heard years ago about two scientists. I once read their names. They had decided that they were going to destroy Christianity. And the way they were going to do it, if they could destroy the resurrection of Jesus, and if they could destroy the conversion of the Apostle Paul, then that would take care of Christianity once and for all. And so they agreed that we'll separate for a year. You take the Apostle Paul, I'll take the resurrection of Jesus, and when we meet back in a year, we will discuss what we found and we will destroy Christianity. They met back a year later, and you know what? Both of them had been converted. Both of them had come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. I tell you what, the resurrection is real. And listen, if you do not preach the resurrection, if some preacher does not preach, does not want to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are not preaching the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There it is. There's the gospel, the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, our sign right now just says he is risen. I'm thinking that next week I'm going to put on it, we preach Jesus crucified, risen, and coming again. Because that's the message of the word of God. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're going to be saved, you've got to believe in the resurrection, don't you? Listen to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 tells us this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Listen, we don't need a dead Savior. We don't have a dead Savior. You know, Jesus is not like Muhammad and Jesus is not like Confucius and Jesus is not like some of those that people want to worship. Jesus is alive. They took those others and they put them in the grave and they stayed in the grave. But Jesus Christ is alive today. And the resurrection is a unique message that the Lord's churches have to deliver to the world. I'm just going to give you a couple of verses. We're not going to read all of these, but in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost preached this message, Ye men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, who gave Jesus to be crucified? God did. Jesus willingly went to the cross, delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Peter declared on that first day of Pentecost after the crucifixion, Jesus is alive. Also in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Peter's preaching, he's alive, he's alive. That's the message Paul preached. And you can go through the book of Acts and you can read there in Acts 13, Acts 17, the Apostle Paul preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the cross, the righteous Jesus experienced God's wrath for sins that were not his. Jesus experienced the wrath of God for sins that did not belong to him. His crucifixion, the scripture says, was the propitiation. And that's just a big word that means satisfaction. His crucifixion was the satisfaction for mankind's sin. It was the payment prize for mankind's sin. And you know, our message falls apart if Jesus is not alive today. First Corinthians chapter 15 again. Listen to what, you know, there were some in that church at Corinth that had problems with the resurrection. Some had said it had already come and gone. Some said there was no resurrection. And listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Listen, if Jesus didn't come forth out of that tomb, if he's not alive today, what I'm doing is the most useless thing that a person can do. But I've got news for you, your faith in him is vain also. Your faith is useless also if Jesus is still in the tomb. Look at verse 15. He says here in the 15th verse, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So not only are we hopeless, 
We're giving people a hopeless message. If Jesus did not rise, if Jesus didn't come out of that tomb and eventually ascend into heaven where he is today at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus rose from the dead in a physical body and he promises a bodily resurrection for you and for me. All four gospel writers agree on four essentials as you read the gospels together. First of all, they talk about the empty tomb. Secondly, they talk about the angelic witness. Thirdly, they report that these women who came to the tomb went back and gave a report that the body of Jesus was not there in the tomb. And then they tell us this. The disciples did not initially believe the report of the women. But there's one thing that they leave out. There's one glaring account that none of them show us. And you know what that is? Not a one of the gospel writers was an eyewitness of the resurrection. They were not there when it happened. They didn't see it happen. They knew Jesus died. They knew Jesus was buried. They saw Jesus alive afterward, but none of them were standing there when the resurrection took place. Matthew a lot focuses on the guards, how the guards came and reported that his disciples had come and stolen his body. At least that's the story they were told to give. They said, you know, and this would be deadly for a guard, wouldn't it? We were there on guard duty and we went to sleep while we were on guard duty. And we were in such a deep sleep that his disciples came and stole the body. Well, you try getting a soldier to tell that to his commanding officer today and see what happens. And yet that was their story. And that what, that's what they reported. Mark deals with the women as witnesses to the resurrection. John talks about the empty tomb. But you know what? Luke uses none of those. Luke does not refer to any of those as witnesses or as proofs of the resurrection. He doesn't say anything about the guards, does he? We just read here in Luke chapter 24. He doesn't include that Jesus appeared to the women after his resurrection. Luke doesn't talk about that. He does say that Peter saw the linen wrappings that were around Jesus, but he doesn't say that convinced him. None of these things are Luke's main proof of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, then what is the main proof? What is the proof that Luke gives of the resurrection of Jesus? It's just simply this, folks. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Luke's account of the resurrection spans 35 verses. It starts with the women at the tomb. It ends on the road to Emmaus. And you remember what happened on that road to Emmaus. And here's Luke's proof. He says, the prophet said Jesus would rise. And then he said that Jesus said that he would rise. And now the gospels tell us that Jesus did rise. There's Luke's proof to us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the greatest proof that we have that Jesus rose from the dead and that Jesus Christ is alive today is the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God. Why do you believe in the resurrection, preacher? I believe in the resurrection because the Bible says it happened. That is the absolute best proof of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, several years ago, a man named James Cameron went over and found some tomb and said he had found the remains of Jesus. Well, I got news for James Cameron. If he did, he's just as doomed as you and I are. But I know he didn't find the remains of Jesus. 
In fact, I know somewhere over there. Now, when you visit over there, they'll take you to a tomb, and it's called, it's at Gordon's Golgotha, Gordon's Calvary, and it's just outside of that, and they'll show you this tomb, and it's pretty neat. You know, they say when they found this tomb, they took everything that was in this tomb, and they shipped it to England, and they searched it and didn't find one human hair in it. Now, is that the tomb that they laid Jesus in? I don't know. It's good for tourism. But I don't know if that's the tomb. But here's what I do know. If that's not the tomb, there's one just like it over there that's just as empty as that one was because Jesus came forth out of that tomb. There's four things I want us to see right quickly this morning. I'll try to do it right quickly. Remember, I said there's going to be a lot of singing and a lot of preaching, so bring your lunch. So I'm trying to keep my word, right? Thank you. First of all, look, we see, as we look at the book of Luke, we see the disappearance of the body of Jesus. The disappearance of the body of Jesus in those first four verses. Now, Mark says, as these women came to the tomb, they're worried. How are we going to roll the stone away so we can prepare the body of Jesus for burial? But verse 2, they get there and what had happened? The stone was rolled away. Now, we know how the stone rolled away. The Word of God tells us how the stone was rolled away. But it appeared to these women that somebody had been there ahead of them. And so what does Mary Magdalene do? If you've read the Gospels, what you know is that Mary Magdalene, this is according to John, did not go to the tomb, up to the tomb, or in the tomb. She turned around and ran back to tell Peter. And what she told Peter is that they have come and they have stolen away the body of Jesus. And it's possible that all of these women assume that very thing, that somebody's been here ahead of us. Somebody has stolen the body of the Lord Jesus. But then you look at verse 3, and verse 3 tells us that some of these women entered the tomb. It says, and they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. And then verse 4 says they were perplexed. They had seen him buried. They knew he was buried there. They knew there had been a stone rolled across the tomb. And yet when they get there, the stone is rolled away and the body of Jesus is not in the tomb. Now that word perplexed has the idea of people who don't know where to go. It's talking about people who just feel like they're trapped, who just feel like they're fenced in. Mentally, we'd say they were at a loss. Have you ever been at a loss? Sometimes I get at a loss for words and somebody will say, not very often, do you? But if you've ever been at a loss for words, or you've ever seen something happen and you just, there's no words to describe it. It's just such an amazing thing or such a perplexing thing that you don't know what to say about it. And these women didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to do. What we would say today is these women were dumbfounded when they walked into that tomb and the body of Jesus was not in the tomb. Now, think about this. It apparently never entered the minds of these women that Jesus had risen. They apparently had absolutely no expectation of a resurrection at all. They go in and there's no body. And what is the first thing they assume? Somebody's stolen the body. Somebody has taken the body of Jesus. If that was not what happened, then they were perplexed as to what had happened. And they're standing there looking at this empty tomb and it's a mystery to them. What have they done with the body of Jesus? But then look at verse 4, the last part of verse 4. 
as they were much perplexed, it says thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. That brings us to the declaration of the angels. Now get the picture. They've entered this tomb. The body of Jesus is not in the tomb. And suddenly standing there, they see two glowing figures, two shining figures, two angels there in the tomb. They're at a loss as to what has happened. And the Word of God tells us here in verse 4 that when they were perplexed and when they saw, verse 5 says, when they saw these angels, they were terrified. They were afraid. Now, this word afraid, the word phobos in the Greek language means fear. But this is a heightened form of phobos. They weren't just afraid, they were very much afraid. I mean, just imagine you walk into a tomb and it's empty and suddenly you see two people standing there, two men standing there in shining garments. They were exceedingly afraid. We'd say they were scared out of their wits as they viewed what was going on in this tomb. So this angel asked what? Simple question. Very good question. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Now, what did Jesus say to them when he was alive? I'm going to rise. He had preached it to them. It had said it to them multiple times. And they go into the tomb and they say, well, somebody's stolen his body. And the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Have you ever looked for someone? Maybe you're at Walmart and you get separated from your spouse, from your child, gone around looking at Walmart for your spouse or for your child. Maybe you wanted to meet somebody to talk with them. You couldn't find them. And so you start looking for them. Maybe you wanted to meet up with a family member and you start looking for that family member. How many times when you were looking for someone did you think to yourself, well, I think I'll go to the cemetery and look for them. That's probably where they are. There's a little bit of sarcasm in this question by the angel. Why are you looking in the place of the dead for somebody who is alive? The answer is obvious. They thought Jesus was dead. They had seen him die there on the cross. They had seen him buried. And they figured that Jesus was just like every other person that had ever been buried, that once you bury him, he's going to stay buried, that he was dead. They didn't understand the resurrection. They got it in their heads that Jesus was still in the tomb. So you know what the angel does? Gives them the greatest news ever. Seven little words. He is not here, but is risen. That's the greatest message that could ever be conveyed to anybody. He's not here. He is risen. But then what the angel does, he doesn't just stop right there. He gives them even better news. And he's going to remind them of what Jesus said while he was alive. But before that, let me just point out that the resurrection validates the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus satisfied God's demands. And the resurrection is a proof of the satisfaction of Jesus among God's demands for sin. But it's also verification that that sacrifice was accepted by God. Jesus came out of the tomb. He came out of the tomb by the power of God. See, the scripture says, just look over to Romans chapter 4 for just a moment. Romans chapter 4 and verse 24. But for us also 
to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, that's why he was crucified, and was raised again for our justification. The resurrection of Jesus not only validates his sacrifice, but it verifies that it was acceptable and it is for our justification. Why are we just before God? Because of what Jesus did. Because he paid the price for our sin on the cross and because he came forth out of the tomb to prove that sacrifice, that offering was accepted by God. And we can be declared just. You know what it means to be declared just? See, every one of us was born a sinner. We know that. If you're saved, you know you're born a sinner, separated from God. You deserved it. You're on your way to hell. But somebody witnessed to you. You accepted Jesus as Savior and God saved you. And now you're on your way to heaven. But to be declared just by God means to just be declared free from the punishment that sin deserves. Amen. Somebody said this, justification or justified. A good way to think of it is just as I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. I'm acceptable to God, not me, but God sees the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees the blood of Jesus because it has been applied by faith. But see, the angels don't just stop there and only Luke records this. They give a little, sort of a, a soft, a simple rebuke right here because he says, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? Remember that? See, sometimes people don't listen. Sometimes people don't pay attention. And when people don't listen, don't pay attention, they don't get the message. When they don't get the message, they certainly don't remember the message. And so the angel says, remember? Maybe in a way of saying, weren't you paying attention? Didn't you pay attention? Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Again, it's sort of an insinuation. You weren't listening when Jesus spoke to you, you weren't listening when he preached to you. The reason you're at a loss is because you didn't listen to Jesus. I think there are a lot of God's people today who are at a loss. I'm talking about saved people who are at a loss because they don't listen to the word of God. They try to live in this world by their own wits, by their own wisdom, by their own strength, instead of listening to what the word of God says. I can make it on my own. I don't need that preacher. I don't need to be in church getting encouragement from the Word of God. I don't need to be learning the Word of God. I can do this myself. And then they fall flat on their face. And many times they say, I give up. And they quit serving the Lord. But the angels say, you didn't listen to the Word of God. Turn back to Luke 9 for just a moment. Luke chapter 9 and we're going to look at verses 21 and 22 because Jesus had told them that he was going to rise from the dead. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying the Son of Man, now he's talking to them, they're present, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, I'm going to come forth. I'm going to rise from the dead. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, he gives them the sign of the prophet Jonah. Everybody knows about Jonah. Now, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. It doesn't say whale. It was a great fish. 
Some people say, well, a whale's throat's only that big and it couldn't swallow a man. I tell you what, God is so powerful, he could make a fish with a throat big enough to swallow Jonah. And maybe Jonah was a little guy too. We don't know. But the fish swallowed Jonah. And how long did Jonah spend in the fish's belly? Three days and three nights. And after three days and three nights, the fish spit him out on dry land. And Jesus said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man is going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, but then he's going to come out. He taught them. He told them. They were perplexed because in hearing, they did not hear. May I just say to you, I'm convinced that goes on every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, that there are people who hear, but they don't hear they go out and shake the preacher's hand and say, good message, preacher. They didn't even hear it. We need to hear the word of God. This is Luke's proof of the resurrection. It is the word of God. And you know what the angel did? He helped their memory because look at verse 8, and they remembered his words. Isn't it good sometimes to have somebody help you remember what the Lord said? Amen. That may be a good thing about preaching the word, huh? We're reminded what God says in his words. Jesus had said he'd be raised. Now he was. Oh, we remember that. Light came on, didn't it? For these women. And so we have the disappearance of Christ's body. We have the declaration of the angel, but we have the disregard of the report of these women because they left to share the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. That is good news. You know, we've got good news to share with the world. This world, I don't know if you notice it or not, but this world seems to be so negative today. Amen. And people, and especially young people, so sad or angry or bitter or whatever it is today. Listen, we've got the best news in the world. We've got the news that'll light up your life. We've got news that'll excite you. Jesus is alive. And these women went back to share the news of the resurrection. Now, at this point, the other gospel writers include that Jesus appeared to them. But Luke doesn't include that. Because again, what's his proof of the resurrection? It's the word of God. He doesn't need eyewitnesses. It seems strange that he'd omit that. Something so vital to proof of the resurrection, it seems strange that he would not say anything about it. But he does not because his authority is not bound in people. His authority is not bound in what people see and what people say. His authority is bound in what God says in his word. In Luke chapter 16, Verses 19 through 31, he gives us the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Y'all remember that account? There was this rich man who just fared well. He ate sumptuously. I mean, he was just living it up. And there was a poor beggar named Lazarus. And the rich man had everything he wanted. And Lazarus was happy just to eat the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked the sores of Lazarus. But the rich man and Lazarus both died. The rich man, well, Lazarus was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man opened his eyes in torments. And you remember all of that conversation, how first the rich man cried out for Father Abraham to just let Lazarus baptize his finger. That's what the word means, by the way. To dip his finger in water and touch it to his tongue, for I'm tormented in these flames. And he says he's told that there's a great gulf between the two of us, and he can't come. You can't go from one side to the other. And so the rich man begins to get worried about his five brothers. I don't want them to come. You know, they're the most mission-minded people, I think, that have ever lived are people who are in hell today. Amen. I've got a brother, I've got a sister, I've got a mother, a father, a child. I don't want them to come here. 
Somebody go talk to them, please. Somebody go tell them about Jesus, please. I don't want them to die and come to this place. That's what the rich man said. I have five brothers. Would you send Lazarus back to talk to them? What does Abraham say? He said, look, they've got the prophets. They've got the word of God. And the rich man said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, they won't listen to that. But listen, if, if somebody would go to them from the dead, they'd be saved. And what did Abraham say? He said, if they won't hear the word of God, even if somebody went to them from the dead, they wouldn't listen to them. Do you realize what Abraham is saying right there to that rich man? He's saying the written word of God is more powerful than the visual sighting of somebody who had been resurrected from the dead. And that's why Luke's proof is in the word of God. The proof of the resurrection is in the word of God. It's much more powerful. In fact, if you go over to 2 Peter, the first chapter, Peter talks about seeing Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Saw him transfigured before us. He says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. There's something better than seeing somebody resurrected from the dead. There's something better than seeing Jesus transformed in front of you. And that is the word of God. Why people don't want to believe the word of God, I don't know. Because it is powerful. You know, it's great news, the power of the word of God. Because when we witness to somebody that's lost, we don't have to say, well, you just wait a minute. I'll go over and get the resurrected Jesus and bring him back to you and show him to you. We don't have to do that. We just have to share with them the word of God. It's not only enough proof, it is the greatest proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's so good that Luke doesn't even include the sighting of Jesus by these women. They had his words. Now they go to the 11. And look at verse 11. This is sad. Their words seemed to them as idle tales. And they believed them not. Those words idle tales had the idea of nonsense. These women came back. The angel had told them he's risen. Just like he said he would. They believed the angel. They go back to the disciples and they say he's risen. They say that's nonsense. You're just making up. These are, these are just tales. And so the disciples are perplexed. And the disciples are terrified. And you know why? Because they do not believe the word of God. They didn't believe the words of Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned the folks in Corinth that held a similar view. You remember those folks? We talked about them. 1 Corinthians 15, listen to verse 35. But some men will say, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? Some at Corinth didn't want to believe in a bodily resurrection of the saved. We know the word of God to teach the bodily resurrection of the saved. And you know why people don't want to believe in the bodily resurrection of the saved? Because they can't understand it with this thing right here. What did God say at one point? My words are not your words and my ways are not your ways. My words, my ways are so much higher, so much above your ways. You can't understand them. God can do things we don't understand that he can do. The women wouldn't believe what they couldn't imagine. Well, we came to prepare his body for burial. Where's his body? The disciples won't believe what they cannot understand. And both situations are simply a failure to believe God and what he says. We have the disappearance of Christ's body. We have the declaration of the angel. We have the disregard of the report. And now we've got one more. We have here in Luke chapter 24, first 12 verses, the dilemma 
of the disciples. And you look at verse 12. Putting all of the accounts together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's what we find. At the report of Mary Magdalene, Peter had left. And what did Peter do? He and John ran to the tomb. Now we know that John outran Peter. The scripture tells us that. I guess he was faster. And they get there, but John does not go inside. He looks in from the outside. Peter goes into the tomb. And Peter is curious. He sees the linen wrappings and so forth. What's Peter doing here? Why is he at the tomb? He's wanting to verify now what he's heard. Well, you tell me he's not there. You tell me he was resurrected. I want to see proof. The women believed the angels before they saw Jesus alive. Peter wants proof. He wants visual proof. He wants to see the empty tomb. Now again, Peter had spent three and a half years with Jesus. Peter had heard him teach for three and a half years. I'm going to be resurrected. And the scripture says after he left the tomb, how did he go away? He went away wondering. He went away wondering. What is that? He's just marveling at what had happened. The word that's translated wonder here is sometimes translated amazed. He goes to the tomb. There's no Jesus there. There's the linen that was wrapped around his body, but Jesus is not there. And now Peter is amazed. The word talks about how somebody reacts when they see something they didn't expect. Again, Peter didn't really understand the teaching, the preaching of the resurrection. And like the rest of the disciples, he did not expect to find an empty tomb. But that's what he finds. Now, before we go any further, I want to look ahead for just one moment to the book of John and the 21st chapter. Now, John chapter 21, Jesus has appeared again to the disciples. Remember, in the 19th chapter, he told Thomas, doubting Thomas, to stick your finger in the holes in my hands and in my side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And he recognized Jesus for who he was. But in this 21st chapter of John, I want you to get an insight into Peter's thinking. Because he says in verse 3, now remember, they had seen Jesus, they'd been with Jesus. Verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. What's the importance of that? Peter was not going on a one-day fishing trip. He said, I'm going back to the fishing business. It was enjoyable for the last three and a half years. We've been with Jesus. We got to see him do miracles, you know. We got to hear him teach. We got to hear him preach. All of these things. But now Jesus had been crucified. He's been buried. Yes, he rose. But I'm going to go back to the fishing business. It's all over, right? I want you to see also from that verse how contagious discouragement is. The rest of the disciples, they say unto him, we also go with thee. They're ready to quit. They are ready just to give up. For three and a half years, they've heard Jesus declare the message of repentance and of the resurrection, that he would be crucified, he'd buried, and he would rise again. Now he's risen. He's even walked with them for many days. And Peter says, ah, that's it. Peter's like a lot of folks that profess Jesus as Savior. I want to be around for the good times. But, you know, God's not supposed to allow me any trials, any difficulties, any of those things. And so when they come, I'm just going to quit, right? Amen. That's the way some people are. You've got to take the bad with the good. You know? The Bible nowhere declares us a life of a bed of roses for a child of God. 
what it does declare to us. And when you go through trials, you've got somebody to go through them with you. And in fact, you've got somebody to go ahead of them with you. Peter's ready to quit. The others are ready to quit. He still had not fully accepted the words of Jesus about the resurrection. The greatest proof. I will say it again. I'll say it over and over and over again. The greatest proof that Jesus rose from the dead is the Bible said he did. Amen. You weren't there. I wasn't there. The Bible said he did. And you know what? I just happened to believe the Bible. Because the word, folks, the word of God matters. We live in a society today, we live in a world today who wants to just totally ignore the Word of God. Well, that's just an old book, thousands of years old. It doesn't mean anything to us. Other Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I have been amazed, and I hope you have too, about how current the book of Ecclesiastes is. Amen. How it speaks to what's going on right now. It speaks to our lives today. You get into it, you read it, and you may not understand some of it, but all of our messages from Ecclesiastes are online and you can find them. But the Bible matters. Why do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Why do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Why do you believe that Jesus worked miracles? Why do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Why do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Did you see any of it? Absolutely not. Have you talked with someone who saw it? No. I don't know anybody 2,000 years old. Why do we believe these things? Because the Bible says so. Amen. The B-I-B-L-E. We sang it in Bible school so many times. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. We believe because God's Word says it happened. That's why we believe. At Easter, and we sang this this morning, He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know He lives? Because the prophets said He would. Because Jesus said He would. And because the apostles who were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God said He did. And that's why I believe that Jesus lives. We believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because Jesus said so. You know, we get to thinking about Easter and our minds go to all sorts of things. Bunnies and eggs and egg hunts and sometimes new clothes and all, all of our finery and so forth. But the one place our minds ought to go is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. He came out of the tomb on the first day of the week. All right? That's why we worship on Sunday. We're remembering the resurrection. So as I said at the outset, every Sunday ought to be Easter Sunday. But for a child of God who has repented toward God and put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them, who believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Every day ought to be Easter for us Amen. because we do serve that living Savior who walks and talks with us. How does Jesus talk to you? Well, he's not going to talk to you in an audible voice. It's going to be louder than that. It's going to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart as you study and read his word and apply it in your life. That's how Jesus and how God speaks to us today.